to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Mattimore Cronin. I'm Justin Clark. And today we're discussing the future of Black Swan events. Specifically, we're going to explore whether the COVID-19 pandemic is in fact a Black Swan event, as defined by Nassim Taleb in his book, The Black Swan. And if so, what we should do collectively to safeguard our health and also our wealth and financial assets in this time of crisis. We'll also explore the future of Black Swan events more generally and how you can become what Nassim Taleb calls anti-fragile, which is someone who thrives in times of crisis or uncertainty. So I think a good place to start is let's go down the list to determine if this is a Black Swan event. So Justin, I'm going to give you each of the three definitions and then you will say whether or not it checks meets the definition so the first one is Mm -hmm. is the COVID-19 outbreak beyond normal expectations so rare that even the possibility that it might occur was unknown beforehand I think this is clearly yes I mean we have countries that are in such crisis particularly Italy but we're seeing other um, neighboring countries like Spain and France that are following suit and it's like people just can't comprehend and they don't have a normal expectation of what it means for something to grow exponentially mm-hmm. or you know logistically because really it's it's a logistic growth that looks exponential at first and then it'll taper off at some point but a non-linear path like that is something that is totally beyond expectations so yes right. I, you know long story short that's a yes Okay, second one. Oh, one thing I'll say about that is that it is worth noting that even though it seems like it could not have been predicted beforehand, Bill Gates kind of did predict it, and he gave a TED Talk where it's actually kind of eerie when you watch it because he was so spot on when he describes the type of virus that's likely to occur, and he's making this case for you know, the preparedness that we should have done that we really didn't do after the swine flu. But this kind of leads into the next Mm -hmm. part of the definition, which is that is COVID-19 pandemic explainable in hindsight, almost as if it were predictable in retrospect? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the same way that you just described Bill Gates's video, um, there's there's so many precautions that we could have taken. I mean, we could we could be having this conversation as though we were you know, 10 years in the future, looking back on this period as Mm -hmm. history. Um, And it would make a lot of sense. Like we can see all of the missteps that certain governments have taken. And that has led to the catastrophe that is that it is becoming and is in certain parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, and now the final definition. So it checks his box, checks boxes number one and two, does it check number three? Is the COVID-19 pandemic an event that has a catastrophic impact in multiple sectors of society and the economy? Yes. I mean, we've, we've seen that <laughs> in the market. That's been, yeah. <laughs> we, we've had such insanely high levels of volatility recently that um, the, like Tuesday or Maybe Thursday. Yeah, Thursday, I think, is going to now be considered Black Thursday mm-hmm. um, as, you know, as sort of a, um, 
a corollary to the 1987 crash and also um, the Great Depression because it was the largest single day drop. Like it's definitely affecting the economy, and we're only seeing the stock market. We're not actually seeing mm-hmm. the long term effects of what this will do to the workforce and everything else associated. Uh, right. With it. So yes to that as well okay so the COVID 19 pandemic is a black swan event and so i think it might be good just to say a little bit about the context of this concept so you know typically with history we like to think of things in sort of a like predictable normal distribution type of way of like average events and if you're analyzing data sets and there's some crazy outliers, a lot of times you'll just ignore the outliers because that's not typically what happens. So that's like the mental model that a lot of people have when they're thinking about, you know, what's going to happen next. But Mm -hmm. the point that Nassim Taleb wanted to raise in his book is that those outliers are actually the most important events of all. It's not the Mm -hmm. normal stuff that happens in the middle of the bell curve. It's the outlier events that really Mm -hmm. end up shaping the course of history. And when you think back to any historical events that are worth noting, or even any events in your own life, like maybe the time when you met the love of your life, or when you finally got that big break in your career, or when you decided (laughs) to move to a new city, it's like the events that really ended up shaping your life the most are the black swan events. And it's the same Mm -hmm. thing in history where like one way that I like to think of a black swan event is if you could say like, you know, before or after this time is really like two different realities. Like think Mm -hmm. of the world before the 9-11 terrorist attacks and then the world after the 9-11 terrorist attacks or the world Mm -hmm. before a nuclear bomb had been dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki versus after the nuclear bomb had been dropped or before and after the internet was invented. It's like, Mm -hmm. these are events that really make up the progress of history. So it's not like we're just gradually moving forward in time, Mm -hmm. which is how a lot of times it seems like, oh, you know, what's gonna happen in 10 years? How far will society progress? But it doesn't progress linearly. It progresses in fits and starts. So Mm -hmm. I, I think it's interesting to just keep that in mind it throughout this episode that it's really the black swan events that define history rather than them just being outliers that we can sort of Mm. move to the side. Yeah. And you can even see that in the entire structure of like historic of how historians study things. It's like Mm -hmm. pre and post agricultural revolution, pre and post you know, World War One or Civil War. It's like these events literally do define how we study history because they are the things that define it. Right. And, you know, it, it is, you can just see the, um, the reality of that in history books, um, which yeah. is, I think, pretty, pretty cool to think about. But so what, what are some examples of black swan events? Like yeah. what, what are some other examples? Well, you know, we just named some. I think pretty much any mm. major world war uh-huh. would be considered a black swan event. I also think yeah. any major discovery, like, you know, there's that famous book, Guns, Germs, and Steel. There's a reason mm. that that's the title, because those three things completely change the course of history. So mm. any invention, any major war, I would also say that any type of economic crash, like, 
the Great Depression, mm -hmm. the dot-com crash, the 2008 crash. Those are all things that no one really thought was going to happen. I mean, there are a few people who were able to predict it, which was outlined in the big short. But the fact that that's a movie mm -hmm. just showed how few people were able to anticipate it, even though it yeah. seemed predictable in retrospect, which is the other unique mm -hmm. quality of a black swan. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting yeah. that, like, we are in the midst of a Black Swan event right now. So I think it'd be good for us to just sort of right now talk about what is it like right now in the midst of this Black Swan event? Because I shared, I shared with you a few charts that I saw from The Economist, mm -hmm. which is basically where we are right now. And if you look at this curve, it is just absolutely straight up and down at where we are right mm -hmm. now. I believe the doubling time yep. is every six days, the number of infected people in the U.S. doubles right now. Yeah, I think it might even be faster in the U.S. because we're like underestimating. We don't have enough tests. Like that's the the root of the issue too. Like it, mm -hmm. there's so many like things coming together to make it even more of a black swan event. But anyways, I'm sorry. That's yeah. Like, and like then six days of doubling. Right. So that's like on like sort of the health side of yeah. how are things going with people being infected and all of that on the economic side. You know, I shared that other chart from Austin Allred where it compares the speed of the crisis with COVID-19 compared to the speed of the 2008 crisis. And there are some mm -hmm. interesting things there, too, where the stock market dropped way quicker like 16 mm -hmm. days from February 19th, it had already dropped by like 27%. Whereas yeah. it took like 250 days for that to happen in the 2008 crisis. So the 2008 crisis was more of a gradual fall. Whereas mm -hmm. this is like spiked right down. And now it's recovered a little bit. And we can talk later in the episode about whether we think it's going to keep falling or not. But, mm -hmm. you know, given that you're in... Tennessee, which is one, you know, unique part of the world of the US and I'm in LA, <laughs> it'd be interesting to compare how are people reacting in your neck of the woods versus in my area. Mm -hmm. So what's it like over there? Yeah, so I today I was, I've sort of been um, pretty pessimistic about this whole situation. And I've been reading Twitter and following people that are very intelligent and are also very concerned about the situation um, and are also in various um, disciplines. It's like people in the medical community, people that are mathematicians and statistical theorists and uh, physicists, all of these different people are economists. Like every single one of these people on Twitter is like raising the alarm bell as much as possible. And I, I see like new on the ground stories every day of what's happening in Italy. So from my perspective, I thought everyone, you know, personally would be freaking out because I'm a little bit freaked out. And then when um, our when we got our first case in town pretty recently, uh, Friday, um, our first confirmed case, I should mm -hmm. say, because it's entirely likely that right. a lot of people have already been infected. Um, but our first confirmed case was, you know, in town and that happened to be a pastor actually oh, who had man. been interacting with people doing communion you know all of these Oof. potentially infecting a lot of people um and 
or at least even if not communion, like shaking hands and interacting with a mm. lot of people. Um, so I thought that would really set people off and go and they would go crazy. And I thought, you know, today might be a good time to maybe stockpile a few things, maybe go out and really figure out what, what is necessary. If worst case scenario, we need to eat for a couple of weeks and not go to a store. Mm-hmm. Um, but people were out, people were everywhere. People, the restaurants were packed wow. and it was unreal to go downtown. I will say that most of the people that were out were younger, mm-hmm. probably people our age that like, they're like, Oh yeah, it's going to be fine. Like we are young. Like even if we get it, we'll be fine. You know, I'm not right. going to change how I'm living life. Like that is the vibe I got from everyone. I was, it was very eerie actually to see how little things wow. have changed. And, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's I how know, things are going. I noticed the same thing with my, my, I have a bunch of cousins and family who live in Chicago and they were all going out to the bars for St. Patrick's Day weekend, like wearing their green, going out, drinking, partying, mm-hmm. like as if there's nothing going on. And thankfully, Illinois just shut down all bars and restaurants because mm-hmm. they realized that people weren't doing <laughs> social distancing and on their own. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's completely different than what it's like in L.A. In L.A., it is on total shutdown. There is no, no one is is doubting that this is something that needs to be taken really seriously. I mean, the mm-hmm. difference between, like I went to Equinox in yoga class on Thursday and it was completely mm-hmm. packed. There was, it was just as packed as it's always been. Everything was pretty mm-hmm. much normal, even though you could tell people were a little more wary. But mm-hmm. I just went, to yoga earlier today uh, even though I no longer use like any of the machines or community stuff I figure mm-hmm. if it's on a yoga mat in my own space and I have yeah. a fresh towel like for me that's a risk I'm willing to take because I get so much out of it as far as keeping me mentally and physically healthy mm-hmm. but it was totally empty now and they even instituted a new policy where they're only allowing half class capacity of what they typically allow. Mm. And they're not allowing any adjustments from instructors. And I can just say like every person who I walk past on the street, like you'll see multiple people cross to the other side. Everyone kind of has this like wary look of, of like, you know, walking a little bit further around you than you typically would. So Mm. you can feel it in the air here. Like it's very, um, it's very widespread, and my my sister just just found out that the WeWork where she works just had its first confirmed case, and so now oh. they're all freaked out. And she's been in quarantine with her boyfriend for like four or five days now. I've been pretty much self quarantined with uh, with my wife just for like the last two or three days, and my my brother actually flew in from New York. Because he didn't want to get stuck on Manhattan, like an island with way too many people on it. And and the the systems could get really strained. So he flew out here and I'm on a group thread with a bunch of my friends and they're like, oh, they're never going to shut down domestic travel. Like that's all just, you know, overly being overly uh, extreme about this. But now I just saw pictures from JFK where my brother flew out of and it is a madhouse people cannot get their luggage they can't Mm -hmm. get on a plane there's 
all of this backlog because any traveler who's coming from Europe has to go through this testing process and and like thank God he got out of there before that all happened or he'd just be totally stuck and you're more way more likely to get infected when you're packed in an airport with a bunch of stressed out people mm-hmm. so it's been uh it's been pretty extreme over here just the overall vibe yeah that's really interesting i will at least say that um any places i've been i do notice that the people working are more careful like people behind a bar wear uh, plastic gloves and they're mm-hmm. like not touching things there's like this brunch spot that always has a brunch buffet, but they uh, don't have the buffet open. They'll like have it behind a, a counter, so like somebody oh, can like serve it to, like to you if you want to. But you know, it's there are some precautions. I'm not going to say that like everybody here is not afraid because there are certainly people who care and or yeah. who at least kind of self quarantine. And I also want to say that like people that aren't doing that don't necessarily not or it's not that they don't care necessarily some people just they don't know like they don't right. know what the true nature of this could be like what how extreme could this possibly mm-hmm. get and that's what i'm worried about and that's like the whole conversation about a black swan situation yeah. like are we are we or how far away are we from like getting in the depths of this event, whatever that means. Like what what will it mean to be in the depths of the mm-hmm. coronavirus aftermath and fallout? Totally. I don't know. It's really hard for me to understand, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah. Well, I just shared on our Hence the Future Twitter account this really awesome graphic from the Washington Post where it's a simulation where they basically show sick people healthy people and recovered people like people who had the virus, but now they're healthy again. And Mm -hmm. you can see in this simulation that when there is social distancing, it's like a gradual curve. And basically over time, yes, a lot of people get the virus, but then they recover enough so that afterwards there's Mm -hmm. no longer as big of a threat. Whereas they gain immunity and they can't, they can't pass it on to anyone else and then it doesn't stress the system. Exactly. That's the whole strategy is how can we limit the stresses to the system? And I don't know what it's like at hospitals in Chattanooga, but in LA, every time I've had to go to the ER, like I had to go a few months ago because I had really bad food poisoning. I had to wait for like four hours. This was just like some random day. There was no crisis going on then had to wait four hours it was absolutely miserable i was like oh my god i can't believe how awful the healthcare system is i think that every single time i have to go to the (laughs) er or something Mm -hmm. and that's during normal times so if you can just imagine Mm -hmm. like even if 10 percent more people have to go to the er or some hospital it Mm -hmm. is going to create a lot of stresses on the system and i've heard i have so i have three people close to me who work in the medical field i I won't name their names because they could get in trouble potentially but what they've told me is really worrisome so i've have one friend who works as a doctor and he actually performs a lot of surgeries it's not like er but and he is absolutely 
amazed that there are no protocols at the hospital where he works for what if you're treating a patient and they clearly have coronavirus symptoms. There's just no, there's like currently no protocol for what they're supposed to do. There doesn't seem mm -hmm. to be much concern for the doctors themselves getting sick. It's more just about like, oh, are you able to be here and work? Like, we don't want you traveling anywhere. We need you in the hospital doing work. Like, that's sort of the vibe. Mm -hmm. And there's no extra safety. Like, doctors should wear, ma should wear masks even. Like, something super obvious mm -hmm. isn't even being implemented at the hospital where he works. I have another friend who works as a registered nurse in the state mm -hmm. of Washington. And he says that they have that the hospital has told nurses and doctors not to list people as having coronavirus, even if they know they have it, because they don't want like the bad PR of like too many people in their particular hospital having it, like just they don't want the numbers to look too bad for them, which is really oh, worrisome. No. And then they're also saying because they have so few tests, they're not testing people who who like if they really obviously are really sick and probably have the virus, they'll just treat them and not even test them to confirm that they have it. Or if it's mild where, you know, let's say like I have all the symptoms, I have a fever, I have a dry cough, I go in and I say, hey, I need to get tested. I think I might have coronavirus. If they look at me and they think, well, you're not bedridden yet, right? Like you're not that sick. They'll just send you home. They, they won't test you because they only want to use their tests on people who are really severe and they're not sure whether or not it's coronavirus. And then I would just say the third friend I have works in the health tech space. Mm -hmm. And he thinks that within one week there is going to be a massive, maybe not like, maybe systems collapse is too strong of a word, but there's going to be a major healthcare industry-wide <clears throat> slowdown <throat> where basically you just really don't want to have to depend on the healthcare system right now. Yeah. And and one recommendation I will say is that if go like if you're insured, go to your insurance provider's website and look at what their resources are for the coronavirus because a lot of the health insurance companies are giving telemedicine options. So most of the time you shouldn't go to the doctor, even if you're really sick with this in this type of event. Rather, you should call and like video chat a doctor, get the diagnosis, and they're working on the ability to basically swab it yourself, send it into a lab, and then get confirmation whether or not you have it. I don't think that last part's been implemented yet, but if mm -hmm. anyone listening to this thinks they might have it, I would recommend finding the number to call where you can get telemedicine support rather than mm -hmm. going into a hospital where you might infect others. If you're not sick, you might get infected and you're probably going to have to deal with ridiculous wait times. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. That, that is extremely worrisome, particularly your, your second friend who is mm -hmm. saying that the numbers are being padded or, or like under, um, Valued, underreported. Like, yeah, underreported. It is that is so bad. Like literally, the the first thing that every health official, World Health Organization person is saying, we need to track down the virus. We need to at least know where it is, 
so we can contain it. If we're mm-hmm. shooting in the dark, we can't do anything. We can't do it. Right. You and I could both have it right now, and we could be transmitting it to people. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, we like a lot of people are asymptomatic, yeah, and yeah. even though they're asymptomatic, they could be sp- like spreading it. And the that's the thing that makes these sorts of events so problematic is that they cascade and they're mm-hmm. and that's sort of what people think of as this like exponential growth so if you think of like the the multiplication or the multiplying of this virus is something along the lines of like 1.15 to 1.25 times where we were today that's where we're going to be tomorrow so 20 percent mm-hmm. higher infections tomorrow of the infections we know about, but we could honestly be off by orders of magnitude, which is only, I mean, to be fair, when we're talking exponentially, that's only a week apart, you know, 10, yeah. 10 X, 10 X is only a week or two away from where we are right now. And right. when we're talking 10 X on operational efficiency of the healthcare system, it cascades even more and you know then more people are clustered together and but they don't have anywhere to go so they're going to other places and spreading it even more and you know (laughs) this is this is going like there are black swan events and there are like black swan events of black swan events i think this is one of those because (laughs) it's so multifaceted yeah that that it's going to be um like it's going to be financial collapse to some extent it already has been priced into the market to some extent um but i don't think it's been fully priced into the market yeah let's talk about that so what are your what are your thoughts yeah i mean i could give mine first or or you can go first either way yeah well yeah i can talk a little bit about it so the the market has been extremely volatile um Mm -hmm. the volatile so there's this uh, ETF that measures the S&P 500's volatility or the implied volatility, and that's called VIX, V-I-X. Uh, that's the symbol if you want to look it up. But you can see that this graph has shot up beyond, I think it's beat all records. Like it's It's been at the highest it's ever been. And it's not like um previous crashes because there are crashes like it's happened before but typically the rebound is fairly quick and or volatility drops back down really quick once Mm -hmm. people realize like okay this is sort of the new normal nobody knows what the new normal is one day the stock market fell nine percent very next day it rose nine percent that's unheard of and (laughs) and before that it was falling four percent then 4% and then it went up 5% and then it fell like 6% and it's, it's completely like it's in the situation where nobody knows what's happening. Nobody knows how to price it in. And what I think the issue is, is people are freaking out, which is fine. Like it's good to price this sort of things in and relatively speaking, markets are efficient, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that the price like the true cost of the coronavirus, economically speaking, has been priced into the market, meaning the stock prices are going to probably keep falling to some extent. Once once we actually hit crisis mode in the U.S., when healthcare systems are overloaded and we see a situation like Italy and like mm-hmm. probably Spain and France will see in the, next com- in the coming days, 
that's when we're going to see the stock market right. crash even further. And it's, it's, yeah, yeah I don't know. I no, want to know what you think. I think that's really on point and it's sort of how I feel as well because there's this interesting psychological phenomenon and you know the stock market is as much of a psychological machine as mm -hmm. it is a financial machine and that is mm -hmm. that if you don't personally know someone who has it it feels very unreal to you and mm -hmm. we haven't reached the level of infection where most people know someone who has it or at least two degrees removed you know know someone who knows someone who has it but once mm -hmm. we reach that point I think there's going to be a different new level of panic that will set in, which will be reflected both in the financial markets and in the stresses to our healthcare systems and other systems. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we had a little bit of that with the, you know, Tom Hanks and his wife, uh, Rita getting coronavirus mm -hmm. because they're at least someone that everyone knows of, even if you don't know them personally. Mm -hmm. Yep. But, we're not at the stage where people know someone personally who has it, at least in the majority of cases. And that's why it's people are able to live in denial right now, especially people mm -hmm. on the right, because Fox News has been really downplaying this. And it's this interesting dynamic where it comes from a good place in the sense that they want the economy and the markets to be strong. So they're mm -hmm. sort of saying, well, yeah, it's a crisis maybe, but you know, really it, it's not as big of a deal. The media is going a little bit overboard. Like that's kind of the vibe. And it's because mm -hmm. they want the markets to do well. So they're trying to downplay it. And there's also the mm -hmm. hidden fact that if the markets do well, Trump's more likely to get reelected. So that definitely yeah, plays yeah. into it as well. But I've noticed that in different parts of the country, really conservative parts, uh, you know, tend to be less worried than really liberal parts of the country. And part of the, you know, part of the sad reality of that is that a lot of conservatives are old, unhealthy, sickly white people who mm -hmm. are most at risk. So it's like mm -hmm. it's a it's a recipe for disaster, really. Yeah. And uh, like their their bases. I mean, like my the... my grandma is a you know she watches Sean Hannity every day, and she's still <laughs> going to church every day. She's ninety years old, and no matter what you know my dad or anyone else tells her, she's just going to keep doing what she's doing. But I I wonder. I, actually, I don't even really have to wonder. Like I'm pretty confident that if Fox News said this is really serious, stay in your homes. You know, this is mm -hmm. not a drill. I can imagine, like, she would follow that advice. So it's it's a it's worrisome on that in that dimension as well. Yeah, yeah. I am. I'm very curious to see what um, what the situation will look like in the coming weeks, especially with the media and Fox News, because there's going to be a point where they have to admit that it's a problem, and they have to let their people know that they need to protect themselves and protect other people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm very, the problem here is, I'm usually, I'm more pessimistic than usual on, on this particular yeah. one. Um, but I think these sorts of black swan events are the culmination of so many different factors. Like the one, like one black swan event leads to another black swan event leads to another black swan event. Like mm -hmm. people, uh, for example, 
the just Trump getting elected in 2016 could be considered a black swan event. Mm-hmm. It yeah. seemed entirely unexpected. Right. And but in in the aftermath, you realize like, oh, wait, like it totally makes he sense. He was persuasive. Why he was like. The media yeah. couldn't stop covering him. He was so interesting. Uh-huh. Everything that came out of his mouth is a new news story. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I'm that's what I'm so concerned about. It seems like black swan events are becoming more and more common. Yeah. Right. And and it's it's not just that they're becoming common individually. It's almost like there's this sort of causality that's that's resulting well, from. Yeah, go ahead. It's the speed of progress is ramping mm-hmm. up. And it's like, yeah. you know, uh, Tim Urban has this great analogy or metaphor where he talks about how it's like, if you read a book of all of human history, the first, like, like let's say it's a 500-page book, it's like the first mm-hmm. 490 pages are us just, like, doing our hunter-gatherer things, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, there's, like, a few pages where there's, like, the Industrial Agricultural Revolution we are on a page, like just on the the last like 499th page of the book, is where mm-hmm. is where, like we basically you know just have unlimited connectivity to one another, like all of human yeah. knowledge. Like every week, there's like more data being created than like all of the previous human history mm-hmm. and data, and it's it, it really does feel like progress is speeding up. So one thing I will say on the optimistic side is that. Even if this takes the worst possible course, you know, it's only going to kill. It only has, let's say, a 1% death rate at the worst. So Mm -hmm. even in that scenario, yes, a million Americans may die, which is absolutely horrible. But when you consider that there's, you know, 300 plus million, that's a pretty Mm -hmm. small fraction compared to, say, you know, the deaths in, you know, the Spanish flu or when the Black Death occurred and a third of Europe was killed. So it's not like this is going to be a civilization ending thing. I think a lot of people, people like my mom, are overly freaked out about it. So you don't want to freak out to the extent that it's, you know, really stressing you personally and maybe stressing your immune system and making you more at risk. But it's better in this case to overreact than it is to underreact. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you can re- react to that if you like. But I'd also like to get your thoughts on, you know, what are some silver linings to this? Like, how do you see maybe society moving forward? Or, uh, you know, are there any sort of silver linings we can take away from this type of event? Yeah. Um, first, I'll, I'll make a quick reaction. So I was scrolling through Twitter <clears throat> right before we had this conversation. And interestingly, Nassim Taleb was talking about the dynamics of or he wrote a um, he wrote this paper with somebody. I don't know if it was like peer reviewed. It probably wasn't peer reviewed just because, you know, mm-hmm. the nature of how fast this is uh, going. But it was basically exactly what you just said. It's better to <clears throat> overreact and panic on an individual level to mm-hmm. lead to systemic um, improvements. And <clears throat> he basically laid out a logical reasoning as to why it's the case that people should be should err on the side of being more panicked than less panicked. Right. 
Um, so it's interesting, you know, we're talking about black swan events and Nassim Taleb, you know, the kind of the person who coined black swan mm-hmm. is the one who's, you know, yeah, yeah. Wrote that I paper. think I saw that same thing. <laughs> Sam Harris retweeted it too, uh-huh. right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So another, so, you know, Nassim Taleb wrote the book black swan, but his mm-hmm. most recent book is called anti-fragile and it builds on the same concepts of the black swan, but it's more about mm-hmm. what can you do to prepare yourself for the inevitable black swans that you will encounter in your life. And the Mm -hmm. way he talks about it is how can you become anti-fragile? And what that is, is it's the opposite of fragile. So if you imagine like a, you know, a delicate teapot that's super fragile, that if there's Mm -hmm. a little bit of shaking, there's a good chance it's going to break. What's an Mm -hmm. example of something that if there's a little bit of shaking, not only is it fine, but it actually gets stronger the more that it, mm-hmm. some, you know, the more chaos or uncertainty or stress there is. And the biggest mm-hmm. example that at least resonates the most with me is hormesis, which is this natural process where if you have a little bit of poison each day, then when someone tries to assassinate you with poison, you're immune to the poison. And so you're <clears throat> totally fine. And this goes back mm-hmm. to the ancient Roman times and all that <clears throat> in the same way with exercise you're stressing your body and your body becomes stronger it's like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger there's the same thing Mm -hmm. with hot and cold therapy where you expose yourself to extreme temperature differences also Mm -hmm. intermittent fasting a lot of the stuff we've talked about which also relates to aging is on this theme of being anti-fragile by allowing stressors in so i'm yeah interested to hear your thoughts on that and if, if how that relates on the systemic level yeah, well, so kind of like you were saying, this hormesis is just a beautiful thing about the human body. And the, like one of the most relevant things that we can talk about now is, let's say you get the coronavirus. You know what your body's going to do if you're a healthy individual and not at risk? It's going to develop immunity to it. And basically it was introduced with an extreme stress that's literally throwing the world into chaos. And what does your body do? it learns it has these cells that these immunity cells that basically remember what mm-hmm. happened in the past and that's what immunity is it it remembers what happened and it's going to remember it for the hopefully the rest of your life and you'll never get coronavirus again that is the yeah, it's the same way and, that you know, might, works yeah exactly and it happens with so many things like when you get chicken pox you get immunity to it once and you never get it again like it's it's beautiful and to talk a little bit about the silver lining would be to talk about the anti-fragility of society as a whole. Mm -hmm. So what happens when society goes through an insane stress? One example of those stresses would maybe be Mm 9-11. So let's talk about a a little bit more micro. So more on just on the city level, let's just what happened to New York city. Well, extreme chaos because of what was happening and obviously a countless number of people died in just one attack and what did the city do afterwards well the city all banded together the city they grouped together everyone was working together it was like it brought out the best mm-hmm. in humanity and people were working together they realized like oh we're we're just fellow earthlings we're on this we're on this planet together we should work together and 
I think in the in the aftermath of whatever is to come. We also started some wars just, that are questionable ethically in the Middle East after nine. Yeah, 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 that's why I'm <laughs> focusing just on New York City. Yeah, <laughs> like there, there's always some like weirdness to it. But anyways, there's there's but, so I mean, many. Just the fact, there are examples. Just the fact of like how many events spawned from that single event. Just like think uh-huh. about how if you know one attack occurring in New York changes governments and the lives of people in multiple countries not only in the middle east but like now we've got like russia in the middle east it's like there's just it really changed everything and this may be a similar event where it changes everything it changes social dynamic it could end the handshake it could uh you know decentralize the healthcare system it could make you know working from home more mainstream it could make uh, you know, like, there, I don't know, there's so many possibilities mm-hmm. of, of how this could change yeah. society. Yeah, and I think that might get into future scenarios. I don't know um, if you want to maybe talk about the aftermath of those in the, you know, the best and worst case. Like, what, how, how do we respond to these things? And, like, yeah. are we anti-fragile? Um, well, actually, I'm curious. Do you think society is anti-fragile like are we in a position to respond well or respond quickly i guess like how much stress do we need to mm -hmm. well i think sectors of society are anti-fragile and other sectors Mm -hmm. are not so i would say that the technology sector like silicon valley silicon beach that's a pretty anti-fragile environment because it's all being stressed all the time by other competitors on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. It's constantly having to reinvent itself. It's never Mm -hmm. stagnant. It's always responding in real time. So that's an example of a sector of society that's anti-fragile. An an example that's not anti-fragile would be, I think, the financial system, banks that are too big to fail, that literally haven't Mm -hmm. had real stresses in so long and they keep making the same mistakes that they've been making because they don't really have those natural feedback from Mm -hmm. that you would get in a natural environment Mm -hmm. i think also a lot of our government institutions are more fragile than anti-fragile i mean one way to think about it is if you're if you have like some massive spending that must happen and if you're not able to pay those bills, then the whole thing collapses. That's a pretty fragile system. So a lot of companies that are really big, they have all of these line item expenses, they are screwed if they're not getting enough revenue for even a month or two. You know, same thing with a lot of our, uh, you know, social, like our entitlement programs, like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, are all, like people have been worried for a long time of what's mm-hmm. gonna happen if one day we're not able to, to pay those bills. I think also the university system is really fragile because mm-hmm. there are there's so much bloated administrative costs. And if people stop going to class, like let's say this lasts a little bit longer and maybe they don't get paid for uh, you know the, the fall semester or whatever the next semester is, mm-hmm. then they are not gonna be able to keep everything up and running. Whereas, let's say, on the flip side, if you run some like online uh, education business, 
you're super anti-fragile because no matter what happens, like the whole world could get blown up as long as your servers didn't get blown up and they're like floating <laughs> around in space somewhere, like you're fine. Like, so, yeah. And I don't know if that necessary and, and that actually would be an example of anti-fragile because as the whole, you know, let's say all the universities like collapse, people would flock to online schools. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So as a whole, the whole system is anti-fragile, whereas like not every component of it is. I guess that's yeah. even true for the human body. Like there are things about the human body that are irreparable. Like you just can't um, get, you know, if you damage some parts of your body, it's not going to go well and it's going to be bad forever. But as a whole, like it responds to stresses very well. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, maybe we get into the future scenarios now. Oh, man, let's do it. All right, Justin, what is the worst case scenario for the future of black swans? Worst case scenario. Yeah, well, I'm going to, you know, maybe annoyingly focus on the COVID-19 black swan event that's going on right now. Um, so my worst case is pretty doom and gloom, but you know, there are better, mm-hmm. um, you know, this isn't necessarily the most likely, but so let's say all of these black swan events, like what I was, what I've been saying are <clears throat> cascading to some extent, like there's some sort of interacting pattern. That means that these black swan events are a little bit more likely. So typically these black swan events, if you're looking at them in terms of a probability distribution, they're on like the far right tail. Because not all probability distributions are plain and simple bell curves that just like have a hump right in the middle. Sometimes they start off in the upper left and then just kind of gradually fade off Mm -hmm. uh, to the right. And that would be like day to day, that would basically be like the extreme events. So on the far left, how extreme is this event? Oh, not extreme at all. Those are the most common. And then to Mm -hmm. the far right, you have the tail. Um, And these black swan events, if, if that tail, if this distribution shifts over a tiny bit, that makes these black swan events orders of magnitude more likely. This is the case in climate change related um, events or, or just regular weather events. And this is potentially the case in other uh, low probability events. If we're somehow shifting this whole distribution to the right, we're making these very previously unprobable events way more likely. And in the worst case, that is what we're doing. We keep making these events more and more likely mm-hmm. because we are, whatever whatever it is that humans are doing to the earth, There's maybe there's a lot of them. Like there's always systems in place somehow to control a population is what it has seemed Mm -hmm. historically speaking if you look at you know evolution throughout time and the dynamics of populations of different species and what i'm i'm worried about is we're making these events more and more likely so that means we lead to like this is just going to be a normal thing and Mm -hmm. i I think it could, you know, I think in the worst case, we do have total systemic collapse to some extent. And we have, you know, financial um, 
institutions collapsing and not just like especially the healthcare um, industry like if hospitals collapse to some extent or get overloaded we're going to see a situation like Italy the interesting thing is I I don't have the like d- the data in front of me but from what I can remember the US is far unhealthier in general yeah. than Italy so Italy is probably mostly stressed by just regular coronavirus patients. What does that mean when the U.S. system, which has the worst health out of the developed right, it's like countries, 45% obese, like all Americans. Yeah. Whereas Italy is yeah, probably much less than that, I'd imagine. Yeah, and, and that's just obesity. Like we have so many, we have so many things wrong um, in terms of just our general health, and that means the people that just need regular things are going to be in a bad situation. And mm-hmm. there's nothing, there's nothing that we can do about that. Like I just, I worry that this one event is, you know, just to kind of um, sum this up. I think that in the worst case, this black swan event leads to one another black swan event which could be collapsing healthcare which leads to another black swan event which is total financial collapse to some extent which leads to potentially more um more system uh, collapse like societal collapse where you know there's more crime let's what happens when kids are out of school for weeks or months and they don't really have a home to go to they don't have meals most of the time kids um, at least, you know, in the inner city schools around here, the only meal they get is at school. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be stress on them. And, and there are, you know, I did see um, Steph Curry and his wife just donated a bunch of money for, for that exact cause. But yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know, probably not enough for all kids everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing. There are so many people that are below this, this line, this poverty line of being able to cover their needs. Like we don't have the systems in place to handle something like this mm-hmm. and as bad as it can get because there are a lot of health officials that say schools need to be closed for at least eight weeks mm-hmm. and around here they're just closing it for a couple of weeks and then it's spring break it's like oh, okay i guess we'll just come back after you know spring break and it'll all be good yeah but it won't be good <laughs> Right. So, so that's yeah. sort of my worst case. Total societal. Collapse. I like that worst case. Not that I want it to happen, but I like the analysis. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you in that. I think if we're limiting ourselves to the current black swan event, which is COVID nineteen, it's not going to be that bad because, like we said, the death rate could be much worse. Like if we had the death rate of H one N one and the spread rate of the coronavirus, then it would be a totally different type of of catastrophe, like orders Mm -hmm. of magnitude greater. So it's worth noting that Mm -hmm. it could be far worse than it actually is right now. But if it leads to another sort of collapse, uh, I don't know what it would take for the financial sector to collapse where essentially there's like runaway inflation um, because it looks like the Fed has already dropped interest rates to like 0% and they've already pumped like trillions of dollars into the economy. Basically, you just let banks add zeros to their checkbooks. I and, know. Oh my gosh. And, and yeah. it, you know, in 2008, that worked fine for whatever reason. It's one of these things where it's such a big complex system that no 
single person really understands it. So you can print trillions of dollars in money. I mean, nowadays it's all digital, so you're not really printing it. You're just allowing them to like mm -hmm. add zeros. But yeah. who's to say that at some point people will lose confidence in the dollar? If that happens, that would be a serious systems collapse. And that, I believe, would lead to absolute havoc. And the likelihood of that, I think, is still very small. So it's nowhere near my likely scenario. Uh, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. And something like that is more likely with the way things are right now than it was before, for sure. Mm -hmm. And it looks like we are, based on our response, we're on a similar trajectory as Italy, as far as how this spreads. And that will lead to serious stresses on our healthcare system, because I don't think our healthcare system is that much better than Italy's. And Italy is at the point where they're having to make decisions of who do we want to give life-saving treatment to, and who are we just going to let die? I think that is likely to occur at the peak of this in the US. And you know, like I said earlier, when it gets to the point where most Americans know someone personally who has it. I do think that that's going to be reflected in just overall societal panic and in the financial markets dipping again. So, yeah, I mean, my worst case, if it's just the coronavirus, is not that bad. It's, you know, it's bad, but it's nothing that's going to really threaten society or civilization. But if it does unlock another black swan event, you know, whether it's financial collapse or maybe a war breaks out or maybe there's, you know, widespread looting or maybe some climate catastrophe also happens at the same time. Like imagine if Hurricane Katrina hit right now or, you know, if oh some if there's and another we're, we're nearing hurricane season. <laughs> yeah. So, just saying <laughs> right so if another x factor is introduced i think it could get really bad but i'm not predicting that as being anywhere near likely to get that bad um, yeah it's so hard to predict though because we're literally in the midst of a developing black swan so maybe and now that's... let's move to the best case scenario best case scenario best case for for me in particular um, I'll just um, stick on this thread um, this COVID-19 um, best case it's really one of those things where I think there's going to be an extreme stress no matter what like even in the best case like I don't see any scenario where there's not some sort of extreme stress on our system in this particular event um, however I think the best case or the worst case is what happens as a response to this. And we've talked in several um, episodes what a you know what what is the likely scenario? And a lot of times it's like something bad has to happen before something gets mm -hmm. good. And I think in this scenario, in the best case scenario, like we need a bad, we need something really bad to happen before like we realize like, oh shit, like we really, really need to change some of our systems mm -hmm. and, and move to a more decentralized system in many respects. So let's say, 
let's say this leads to such a stress on supply chains at one point where we are out of some particular product that is vital or at least uh, like pharmaceuticals close. which come almost exclusively yeah. from china yeah like there could be supply chains that are or or food for example like there's a, well, a lot of, food of locusts is, yeah a lot of food going, is grown uh, in america so from an american perspective we're probably okay there yeah hopefully you know yeah, like we right. don't know what we don't know what sort of events could come from this what happens when farmers are not working what happens when like mm -hmm. there's a lot or if there's you know contamination in our food you know there's a lot of things that could yeah. stress the, the food system but there's a lot of um ways that this could teach us to move to a more decentralized system in many respects a decentralized currency, whether that is a cryptocurrency or some other form of payments that is, you know, backed by something that people trust. And maybe mm -hmm. there is, maybe there is a more um, decentralized food supply chain. So we maybe we have these indoor gardens, like Kimball Musk, Elon Musk's mm -hmm. brother, is working on this company called Square Roots that is all about indoor farming in like shipping containers and stuff so what if we had these little hubs of growth all in pretty much any city and we can decentralize that system and if we can improve our healthcare system like that's the big best case that can come from this is we realize how bad our system really is at handling something out of the ordinary and we also realize that it could put many Americans into you know bankruptcy essentially if they can't pay their medical bills like this mm -hmm. this could just lead to total systemic collapse and rebuild like rebuilding that that whole system and I think that could that new system could look really good I mean it could be one of those things where we have enough smart people out there like I I tend to think that there are way more smart people in the world than there are not smart people in the world and People can learn from their mistakes, I tend to think. And I think we can, you know, if if there is something that's actually staring us in the face and we need to change, like, people will change. And we can respond to it in a way that, like, makes the overall system better. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly what that better system look like looks like, but that's sort of my best case is, is like, system the whole system is anti-fragile and responds to this in a way and, and strengthens itself for future catastrophes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with you about most people being smart and not dumb, but <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you about the, po the possible good side effects that come from a system being rebuilt. So I would say on the infection, just health side, I think the best case is that Social distancing does work in America better than it worked in Italy. And maybe we are able to avoid the level of disaster that occurs that's occurring in Italy right now. I think there are a few things that work in our favor there. One is that if you've ever met an Italian, they love to like kiss you on both cheeks when they meet you and they use a lot of gesturing and they speak and they maybe they spit a little bit when they're giving an impassioned speak, uh, speech over some spaghetti, mm -hmm. whereas Americans are less like that. So maybe that works in our mm -hmm. favor. And maybe also because okay. we've gotten to see how bad it can get in some countries, 
we are a little more informed. So it's possible that we'll be able to respond better than Italy in that regard. And uh, I would say from an economic perspective, so the best case for health is it's still really bad, but maybe not quite as bad as Italy. On the economic perspective, I would say that it's possible in the best case that the market has already priced in the virus. And one, one uh, you know, fact that leads me to believe that that's a possibility is that the drop occurred so much more rapidly than it did in 2008. And I think overall, our financial instruments and just investor mentality is, responds much more quickly nowadays than in any past crisis. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it dropped yeah. so quickly, right when when people were like, okay, this mm -hmm. is a real crisis, it's not, it's not a drill, immediately the market adjusted. Mm -hmm. And since then it hasn't really moved much. That leads me to believe that it's possible that unless there is some other X factor, like another black swan emerges, maybe we've already priced it in and maybe you know, we've already experienced the worst of the economic repercussions. And maybe the stimulus and lowering interest rates does work. Um, I'm not saying it's the most likely case, but that is a possibility in the best case. And I would say as far as like societal progress, my best case is that this does result in a big leap forward. And you touched on a lot of the, the industries that would be improved, such as you know, decentralized healthcare system where we're not bringing all the sick people into one building and you got to drive there and have long wait times. Like you can just video chat a doctor, send in your own, you know, eventually you could ideally like upload your own samples to your computer and have it analyzed in real time. And we may not get there immediately, but we would take steps to get closer to that sort of reality. I would say... Also, it could mainstream UBI and a lot of the stuff that Andrew Yang talks about and actually giving people support whether or not they are job seekers, right? Like welfare only works if you're seeking a job. But if you're someone who's in the midst of a catastrophe and you used to, you know, you're typically an hourly worker who works at a restaurant and the governor just closed down all restaurants, you know, people like Trump are more incentivized to actually help those people. Whereas that would have been unthinkable mm -hmm. a few months ago. So I think yeah. our attitude towards quote unquote social policies will change. I think we could see serious leaps forward as far as how fast we're able to develop vaccines and treatments. And I think we can also get better at how we track diseases on a biometric level and give people precision medicine. Because it seems clear that some people are more affected than others. It's probably, you know, genetics probably plays a role. And we can, we, there's so much room for improvement in our ability to recognize which people are susceptible to which viruses, you know, which treatments are more likely to cause really bad side effects for which types of people. And, and ideally, we develop drugs and vaccines that are specific to you and your DNA. And I think that all of those areas, including work from home and just overall efficiency of how businesses operate, it's like, I, you know, one person really summed it up in their tweet where they said that 
coronavirus is like a black light and America is like a cum stained hotel room. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's making us see all the all the horrible like parts of society that are inefficient or they're not working well. It's really shining light on a lot of the areas that can be improved. So my best case scenario is we actually improve those areas and we're stronger because of it. And maybe it creates a similar effect as hormesis, where mm. what doesn't kill us makes us stronger and the next generation of Americans are going to be way better off. And hopefully this is the pandemic of the century, meaning there's no other worse pandemic for another mm -hmm. 50 years at least. Yeah. Yeah, I... I like that. I hope that that is what happens. But maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe we talk a little bit about the likely scenario. Most likely scenario. Well, for my most likely, I go back to the notion of, do you know people who have the disease personally? You know, we're very tactile beings. If you don't see it and smell it and hear it with your own senses, it's hard mm -hmm. to really know that it's real. So I think the most likely scenario is that we haven't reached the worst of the health effects of COVID-19. We haven't reached the worst of the economic effects of COVID-19. And only until we get to that level of people knowing someone else who has it, where the virus has peaked, in number of people who have it on any given day until that time happens we have not bottomed out with the worst of the effects but i also think in my most likely scenario that this will lead to a lot of improvements it will lead to more decentralized medicine and more favorable attitudes towards ubi and more efficient businesses and better practices for workers and i think all of that will happen it's just a matter of how great of an effect it has is it just you know some businesses that change or is it really like a top-down like you know everyone gets paid sick leave because it's really important in preventing the spread of viruses i don't know if there will be those sweeping policies but it's definitely going to have an effect on individuals and individual companies and organizations like schools mm -hmm. yeah um i i really like that i think I think your likely case is a little more optimistic than mine. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's hear yours. Um, so I think, well, for one, I think in the most likely case, the this current event and future events will bring out the best in people and it'll bring out the worst in people. Um, so just, I mean, just yesterday, there was a story in the New York Times about um, – a guy in Tennessee who bought like 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer oh, to price gouge. That. Yeah. And, um, I mean the backlash of that was unreal. Like he was getting death threats. He got a cease and desist finally. And, you know, or I don't know yeah. about finally, but it was just like, it brought out the worst. And like basically people are going to take advantage of this situation. And, I just listened to a talk by, not a talk, but uh, Yuval Noah Harari was on CNN and he was talking about how governments and um, more authoritarian leaning um, organizations are going to use this as an opportunity to get biometric screening 
to be commonplace. Like this is going, this might be the first thing that happens in China. People just get, you know, they just have this thing and they're always getting monitored Mm -hmm. for their biometrics. And the problem that um, Yuval was talking about is it's going to happen and it's going to be very useful during this crisis. But what happens? It stays. It does not go away after the crisis is over. And now we've just have a, a deeper surveillance situation. Um, so that's number one. Uh, you know, that's more like mm-hmm. in the worst case scenario. But I honestly, and the reason that's bad totally just agree. for listeners is that they've been doing some pretty awful things with the Muslim population there. So there are a lot of bad ways that they're using biometric tracking that people are worried about from a human rights mm-hmm. perspective. And the, yeah, and when you think about what that means from a surveillance situation, if you're, hard, if you're stressed to some extent and you're having a conversation with, if you, let's say you interact with some government official and you immediately become stressed, you're probably now a person of interest to some mm. extent. Like you're probably flagged in some way. Mm-hmm. And these, these sorts of situations are good when we need to track down a virus that's causing a pandemic but it's not good when it stays and it's just there to surveil people mm-hmm. um so you know that's number one why i think it's what, what i think is probably going to happen like people will take advantage of this situation yeah. there will be good responses there will be responses similar to like what you're saying like uh, there will be systems that are improved because of this i don't deny that at all um but I do think that there are also going to be organizations that take advantage of it. And even after the fact, that's going to be here to stay. And the other thing that's going to happen is, you know, financially speaking, there are going to be banks probably that make a shit ton of money because of such a stimulus that's being put. It's basically another top down approach mm-hmm. um, where, you know, the the banks are left with the decision of how do we spend this money or, you know, yeah, great idea. companies are left with the decision. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's totally worked out throughout history. Um, but at the same time, I do like what you said about UBI, like people are actually starting to think that it's a good idea. Finally. Yeah. Like people we, are starting to catch on to the, just the whole facade yeah. that's cracking finally. Yeah, so I think that's good. But, um, you know, just to keep it, you know, I think there's a lot of um, things that are going to go wrong. And I think that this and, you know, just in terms of black swan events in general, I, I've been having a like weird feeling recently where I think that these sorts of things might be more commonplace than they used right. to be. And maybe that's because I haven't lived throughout history. But well, like, as you were I've, talking, I just have this weird feeling. As I was, as yeah. you were talking, I thought of another Black Swan event that we didn't even mention, which is the oil. What's going on in the oil space? Yeah, where yeah. they're literally the biggest drop in the price of oil in people's lifetimes. Like there, are, there are experts who specialize in studying the price of oil and how it affects economies. And most of these experts are like, yeah, this is nothing. We've never seen this in our whole lifetime. This is like a once in a lifetime, once in a career drop. And it all was because the whole, the little oligarchy of oil producing countries couldn't decide 
on how much to draw back production. So they basically all just decided to go forward and produce as much as they could to screw over the other guy. And a low price of oil is one of the leading indicators of a recession. And we talked about that in the future of recessions. So that's really worrisome. And it's, you know, if, if things aren't going great between those countries, who's to say that it'll get resolved and they'll start cooperating again. And that's just like a nut that like wasn't even really worth mentioning in this episode. And it, yet it still yeah. is a black swan event. Mm-hmm. And, and I seriously, you know, wow. I just, I feel so pessimistic. Like I'm so negative. I'm usually not such a negative yeah. Nancy, but like in this particular scenario, I'm starting to feel like these things are just going to be commonplace like these. And we haven't even talked about climate black swan events. We haven't mm-hmm. talked about the fact that last hurricane season, there were record number of hurricanes. Like there were 500 year storms back to back that that's unreal and it's happening. And it's just, and you know, we've got this locust problem in the middle East now, right. another black swan event. Like they're, they're just like all of these things that are happening that are causing, you know, huge stresses to the system and you know maybe mother nature's trying to tell us something i know like we're (laughs) we're maybe stressing you know mother earth a little bit too much i think it was paul stamets who said there's a vote happening right now of all organisms on planet earth and they're voting on humanity do we vote them on the off the island yes or no (laughs) (laughs) what's our response going to be are we going to you know help out our fellow organisms and change our ways or are we going to go down in a fiery ball of fury oh i know and that's what i'm worried about i think that i think that some of us i think some of us will go down you know to some extent like there's there are going to be some people that are drastically affected by this what i'm most worried about is the people that are going to be most affected by all of these things are the people that are the less least fortunate in like financially speaking. And what that means is this is another situation for people in power to gain more power. Like this is one of those times that like people that are already good, like they're fine. They're going to be more fine after this situation because of all of the opportunities that are going to pop up from a business perspective and just from a a pure like networking. There's going to be there's just going to be so many things that are changed and the people that take advantage of that are going to be in a disproportionately better situation. And the people that can take advantage of that are people that are already in positions Mm -hmm. of power to some extent. Um, Yeah, it's like any you know, don't let any crisis go to waste is sort of an authoritarian mm-hmm. tagline that, you know, pops up again and again. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think, you know, if, if anyone listening to this is feeling too pessimistic based on our discussion, <laughs> I would say that it does make sense to overreact in this regard and be as sanitary as you can and self-quarantine for the next, you know, at least the next several months, you know, month or, or more. And I would say, like, from just a broad-reaching perspective, you want to take the path of least resistance in life, and you want to sort of go with the flow. So trying to fight change is... No, I'll just stay quiet. 
Yeah. Um, you know, fighting change is never a good strategy. You want to take the path of least resistance. And it's, you know, Alan Watts has this great visual where think of water, think of water coming down from the mountains, how it sort of spreads out almost like in fingers to see which is the path that is most viable. And then it'll just go towards whichever path has the least resistance from gravity and friction of the ground. I would say that anyone listening to this should think about their life in a similar way where you can use this as a opportunity to sort of think about what are some areas of your life where maybe it's been a little bit fragile, maybe all of your eggs are in one basket financially, maybe you're really depending on just one, you know, source for a paycheck. Maybe you realize that you're not doing what you most would love to do with your life. Maybe you realize you haven't been spending as much time with family. And this is an opportunity with self-quarantine to spend time with family and to make a change. So I would just put out feelers in your own life. See where the areas of fragility are. And then try to make changes so that you can become more anti-fragile. So that if more black swan events do arise as it seems like they are arising with more frequency, that you're able to be one of the people that can actually see that black swan event as an opportunity and not see it as just something purely disruptive and chaotic. Because with any black swan event in history, you know, any world war, any major invention, there's always winners and losers. And a lot of time it's about the mentality of the person that determines whether or not they end up or a winner or a loser. So mm -hmm. nothing is definitive. I would say it's important now to sort of go with the flow, take it day by day, do what you can and don't worry too much about what you, what you can't do. I wouldn't panic sell in finance right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't, please like if this I is will the worst say time one to sell. thing, yeah, like you don't, it's the opposite of what you ever want to do. Like typically the best thing that you can do if you just want to passively invest is this thing called dollar cost averaging where you just buy a little bit. Like week over week, you just have a set amount. And this is something that you should do always, yeah. potentially. And okay, but we talk I won't about say that should. in future finance too. But yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like you want to place long term bets on companies that you think are going to make it in the long run or just make long-term bets on the market as a whole through index funds and you don't want to let your emotions play any sort of role so it may make sense for some people to buy since the market is cheaper now that's a decision that's totally up to you and, and where you think things are but if you are going to buy don't buy for the next six months or a year or two years buy for the next 20 years and, you know, Warren Buffett's philosophy is to never sell stocks because if you're in the mindset of, oh, when should I sell, you're probably going to miss out on some really big gains. Whereas if you just keep all of your stocks, yeah, some of them will go to zero. But the ones that really hit it big, thankfully, you wouldn't have sold them. And in the end, in the end, you'll be way better off than you would if you're like every day, like a scared mouse thinking, what should I do? Should I buy? Should I sell? So... Mm. You know, it's important to just take a breath, make non-emotional decisions, but still do what you can in your power to, 
make yourself as anti-fragile as possible for this Black Swan event and for any future Black Swan events. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't have said it better. All right. Thank you, Justin. It's really awesome to have you back. It's been a little while since we've uh, had yeah, a discussion, so feels it's good to hear from you. And thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, hope you stay safe, stay healthy. This has been the future of Black Swan events. And we'll see you next time. The past, the present, and the future.